So, have you thought about your life in terms of what you want to accomplish with your life? If there was just one thing you could achieve in your life, one goal you could say, this is what I want to achieve in my life, what would that be? I know people have life verses. I've never had a life verse. But as many of you know, for my adult life, there has been one goal that has been my mission in life, and it is I, I want to be a great lover. And by that I mean I want to love God with all of my being, and I want to love others as I love myself. And if I can do that, I don't care how much money I make or, or what I achieve in ministry even, I just want to be someone who loves God with all that I am and loves others the way that God loves me. Because of this, our teaching passage today really resonates with me in a very powerful way because it talks about loving others, how we receive love and how we give love. So I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open to that little 1 John book we've been studying this summer. 1 John will be in chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. If you have your Bible, look with me, please. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, we have one there for you. It's page 1023 in that Bible. And so, as we look at this, this passage deals with love. Probably all of us, at some level, understand how significant and important it is for us to love. Just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Zach taught about love. This is actually the third major section in this little book of 1 John that talks about love. But, but actually, love is throughout the book. In fact, at least 36 times in the ESV, uh, it talks about love and uses the term love. Now, you remember probably, if you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Zach talked about the 13th century German king, Frederick II. And his horrific experiment where he wanted to see what language children might naturally, spontaneously speak if they were never influenced or taught human language. And so they took those babies from their mothers at birth. They, was, they, they never heard any kind of human language. They were raised by nurses who cared for their physical needs. But the nurses were never to talk to the babies, never talk around the babies. In fact, never even touch the babies if they could avoid it so that just their material needs would be met, but they would have no human interaction or influence. And as you remember, what happened to all those babies? They died, right? All of their physical needs were being cared for, but they were being denied that intimate, personal connection of being loved. We are hardwired by God to receive and give love. In fact, medical doctor and researcher Dean Ornish in his book, Love and Survival, said this, quote, The scientific evidence leaves little doubt that love and intimacy are powerful determinants of our health and survival. Why they have such an impact remains somewhat of a mystery. Well, I don't think it's a mystery, actually. I think it's because we're created in the image of a triune God. One God, yes, but is within himself a loving community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is where you get that Trinity thing that I can't begin to fully understand. But we are hardwired by God to, to, to receive love and to give love. And, and so this is true not only for our welfare physically and emotionally, but love is critical for us spiritually as well. You might remember Jesus cited the Old Testament saying that everything that God requires of us, everything that's in the Bible, all of the teachings and the commandments, 
all of it can be summed up in loving God with all that we are, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, Jesus said. And so, earlier we heard Gary Smith read what Paul had to say about the priority of love in 1 Corinthians, and he said this, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And friends, I want you to know, I think about that every time before I, I speak when I'm teaching. I think about this verse. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? Don't spiritual gifts matter? Of course they do. Isn't prophecy and spiritual knowledge from God? What about faith? Isn't faith important if you want to follow Christ? Generosity towards others. What about a willingness to be martyred for your faith rather than to deny Christ? Don't you think that's significant? Of course it is. But Paul says none of that matters if we don't love. So love is a big deal to God and it's a big deal in our lives and this is why we want to look at what John has to say about how we receive love and how we share love so let me just kind of set up the context of our passage in 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 this way a couple of weeks ago when pastor Zach was talking about love he was talking about living that divine kind of relational life that we're created to live and he talked about how hard it is to love and how Christ motivates us and Christ is an example for how we love. He was teaching from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. And to the end of that passage, John makes an interesting statement. So look with me at 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. 1 John 3, 23, where John said this. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Now notice there are two parts to this commandment. The first part of this commandment is that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and then the second part of this commandment is that we love one another. And then what John goes on to do is he goes on to unpack these two things. And last week, Pastor Zach taught about what it means to believe in Jesus, to know who Jesus is and rightly believe in Jesus. And that was the first part of the command. And now in our passage today, John is unpacking what that second part of that command is all about. And that is how we love. And so with that in mind, let's look together. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. I'd invite you to stand with me as I read our, our teaching text. And as Gary Smith says, and Gary, I always love when you say this, hear the word of the Lord. Let's do that, shall we? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us 
and his love is perfected in us. Let me pray for us. Father, as we look to see what you inspired John to write, that we might understand how to receive love and how to share love, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak clearly into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are two ideas in this passage. They're kind of intertwined throughout the passage, like two strands uh, wrapping around each other. But for clarity, I want to separate them, even though they go throughout the whole passage. The first deals with why it's important for us to love, why we should receive and share love. And the second deals with how we do that. How do we love? How do we receive and share love? And so let's look at those two things, beginning, first of all, with why we love others. Why do we love others? Is it because they love us? Is it because they deserve our love? Of course not. Jesus said we should love our enemies, so it kind of rules all that out. So why do we love others? Well, first of all, because God commands us to love others. He commands us to love others. Oops, excuse me. Something I had at breakfast, I guess. Look at the first part of verse 7, would you? Beloved, let us love one another. Now, I love the way John says this, but please don't be beguiled by it. Because John says this in such a sweet, gentle, loving way. Beloved, let us love one another. You know, he starts with beloved, and then if you're a grammar geek, then you'll know that he's using the first person subjunctive when he says, let us. And, and, and so well, he includes himself in that, doesn't he? He doesn't say, hey, you guys love. He says, let us, because all of us struggle with loving people at various times, don't we? Including John. And then he says this, not barking a command, love. Instead, he says, let us, that subjunctive voice, let us love, which is such a gentle way of saying it. But make no mistake, this is a command. This is an admonition. And he reinforces that when we get to verse 11. Skip to verse 11 and look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought, and you might want to underline that word, ought to love one another. Ought means there's an obligation, that there is a requirement, there is a duty that God puts on us to love. In fact, Paul says the same thing in Romans 13 where he says this, Oh, and here's that same idea as ought. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So I owe God loving you because that's what he requires of us. This is his command that we love each other. It's not optional. In fact, it is as essential as faith in Jesus that we love each other. Jesus himself says it this way in John 15. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so, first of all, we love because simply God commands us to love. But secondly, we love because love is from God. Let's continue in verse 7. He says this, For love is from God. Now, you probably are aware that there are three primary words in the Greek language for love that talk about three different types of love. I mean, there are more words, but three primary words. The first word is eros, eros. It refers to, of course, sexual desire. We get our word erotic from this Greek word. And it has to do with, with sexual desire. And, and also, in a more general sense, it has to do with just romantic love. In fact, the, the Romans used this Greek word 
to associate with their Roman god of love, and this is where you need to think of little Cupid with his little wings and his little arrows, you know, pew, okay, the Roman god of love. And, and so it's this kind of romantic love or passionate sexual kind of love. The second word is philea, and philea means brotherly affection. It's that kind of mutual family love that we share. Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love, and of course it's built on that. And then we come to the third word, which is the word that John uses, and the word that is so pervasive throughout the whole Bible, the New Testament especially, and that is the word agape. And agape refers to a love that is a benevolent love that seeks the good of others. Now, here's what I find interesting about these three words. We actually have a lot of ancient manuscripts going back several thousand years that are written in Greek by different people talking about different things and, and that refer to love, and they use different words for love. But they almost never use the word agape. They always use other words. Agape shows up in Scripture much, much more than any of the other Greek manuscripts you'll ever find. Why is that? Because this kind of benevolent love that seeks the good of others is unique to God. It's uniquely from God. Why? Well, look with me at verse 8 as John explains why. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In his very essence, God is love. In other words, love is just not one attribute among other attributes. Love is not one tool in God's tool belt. The essence of God and everything that God does is an expression of perfect love. Even when God disciplines, even when God brings justice, even when God brings judgment, it is an expression of perfect love because God is in his essence love. And so um, he reveals this to us in a way that the world hasn't been able to understand. How do we know that this is true of God? And, and how, what, what does it look like to love in this kind of way that is a unique way that God loves? This is what verse 9 tells us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. When God came in the person of Jesus Christ, to take all of our sins upon himself and die on the cross in our place and was raised to life to offer us forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life. He was revealing what this agape love is like and what his character is like. And so we love because love comes from God. And then the third reason takes this a step further. And that is we love because not only is God love in his very essence and character, but because God loves us specifically and personally. Look with me at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So love doesn't start with you and me picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps, saying, okay, if God says we've got to love each other, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to try to love. Rather, we experience God's love. And, 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 and when, we, when we open the door of our heart to God, who is love, by faith in Jesus Christ, this God who is love 
pours his spirit into us. We are born of his spirit. And he pours his love into our hearts and our life. And, and so through his love fills us and overflows and pours into the lives of others. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Zach was talking about this, he used a metaphor of pouring water into a container that spills into another container. I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and see if I can do that without making a bad mess up here. So, a little drama for today, right? Can I do this? So here is God, here we are, and here is someone else that we are in touch with. And God pours himself into us, his love comes into us, and bam, it pours out into others. Hey, pretty cool, isn't it? And not too bad a mess. So, uh. so it's a wonderful metaphor of where love comes from. However, here's where this metaphor breaks down. We are not inanimate conduits through which love flows. In other words, we're not just like a a little pitcher, or you're not like the water pipe that goes from the well to the faucet and the kitchen sink. Rather, here's what happens. God's love comes into our heart, and it changes us. The Spirit of God brings His life into us, and it takes root, and, and, and He begins to change us. The God who is love, who pours His Spirit into us and gives us His life, begins to change our DNA spiritually, so that we become like God wanting to love. And the Spirit is bearing fruit. And you remember, what is the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians? Love, right? And so his Spirit begins to bear fruit, which is love. And so God's saving love changes people who receive it. Let me give you an example from the life of Jesus Christ. Luke 7 tells us about Jesus going into the home of a Pharisee to have dinner. And as he's eating in the home of this Pharisee, a, a woman who is a notoriously immoral, sinful woman comes into the house and she begins to wash his feet, the feet of Jesus, with her tears, just weeping, wiping his dirty, wet feet with her hair, anointing his feet with an expensive ointment, kissing his feet. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Well, Jesus was more than a prophet, and he knew exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. And so Jesus told him a story about a moneylender who had loaned money to two debtors. One debtor owed him 500 denarii. That's about a, a, a denarii is about a day's wages. So he owed him 500 denarii. The other owed him only 50. The moneylender forgave the debt of both. And so Jesus then asked the, the Pharisee, which debtor do you think would love the money lender more? And he replied, I guess the one who had the larger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you're right. Then he applied this to the woman, and Jesus made this conclusion. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, notice the logic that Jesus is saying here, the flow of the logic. The woman wasn't forgiven because she loved. She loved because she had been forgiven much. And so what happens is when we experience God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his goodness through Jesus Christ, the impact of that is the God who is loved begins to shape our heart to love. This is why John goes on to say in verse 7, look at the middle part of verse 7, whoever loves 
has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You cannot be born of God's spirit. You cannot be reconciled and come into right relationship with the God who is love without him shaping your heart to want to love others. And when you experience his forgiveness, it changes us to become like him. Well, let's take this one step further because there's a fourth reason that John gives, and it's this. We love so that others can experience God's love through us. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, God's invisible. He's spirit, right? Nobody's seen God. Moses has seen the backside of God, a glimpse of it. But no one's ever really seen God because he is, he's spirit, right? And, and yet, here's what John's saying. As we love others, they see the character of God in us by how we love other people. There are two words I'd like you to take note of in verse 12 as you look at verse 12. The first is the word seen. No one has seen God. Do you know what English word we get from that word seen? We get one of an English word we use all the time from this word. It is the word theater. In other words, no one is like going to a play and seeing God or going to a movie and seeing God, right? But as we allow him to dwell in us and as we love with his love, and we love others, people see God. Let me say it this way. Your life is like a stage. Your life is like a, a movie theater showing a documentary on the character of God. And the lost world around us sees this unseen God. They see what he is like and what his love is like when they see how we love each other. This is the way Jesus said it in John 13. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then look at verse 12. There's a second word in verse 12 I would call your attention to, and it's this. It is the word perfected. The love of God is perfected in us. What that means is it achieves its goal. God, because he loved the world, has come into the world through Jesus Christ to die on the cross and was raised to life. And the end of that love is achieved when you and I love others. And that opens their heart to come to faith in Christ because they see our love. They come into relationship with God. They're born of God. And so God uses your love as the final destination and goal of his love. I don't know about you, but that's kind of like, that's a mind-blown thing to think that God's love reaches its ultimate climax and achieves its goal when I love other people. So this is why it's important for us to love others. So how do we do it? If it's important to do, how do we do it? This is the second thing. How do we love others? Well, first of all, by receiving God's love. You know what causes us to love people? It isn't that they love us. It's that we experience God's love. And his love is what helps us become great lovers because it's his love that's life-changing. So let's go back to verse 7. Look at that, that latter part of verse 7 where he says this. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That means they've come into right relationship with God. Then skip to verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, our love begins with receiving what God has done through Jesus Christ, his love being expressed for us through what he did for Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 12. Skip with me to the last part of verse 12. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now notice, whose love is perfected in us? Is it our love? It is his love, right? So it all starts with our opening his heart, our hearts for his love to come into our life through faith in Jesus Christ. So let me just begin by asking you, first of all, have you done that? Have you, beyond just coming to church and trying to be a good person, have you personally opened your heart to faith in Jesus Christ and put your trust in him and, and committed your heart to follow him? That's the beginning point, right? Because it is God's love that works in us and through us. And so it's all starting there. But then secondly, if you've done that, as God's child, we want to abide in him and we want him to abide and bear fruit in us. And so I want to center my life on Jesus. Gary, I appreciated your prayer as you prayed. He, he, he shared in his prayer the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And let me just read a, a part of that. In Ephesians 3, Paul said this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, and here it is, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." knowing, experiencing, understanding how dearly God loves you that we see through what he did in Jesus Christ is foundational to our experiencing God's presence and fullness in our lives. So I ask you, are you centering your heart and your life on Christ and thinking and focusing on his love for you? That's a challenging thing to do. Some of us in this room have been through some very painful Difficult experiences. Some of you here have buried a child. Some of you here have had miscarriages. Some of you here have been through difficult, painful experiences like a divorce or a loss or even abuse. It's easy in those painful times to feel like God has turned his back on you, that he doesn't really love you. That's when we need to hold to understand the full measure that God really is present. He really loves me. He is really at work for good, even in the midst of this painful thing. Some of us in this room have really blown it in our lives. We have let some people down. We've let God down. We're tempted to think maybe God doesn't love us so much because of what we've done. Do we really grasp the height and the depth and the width and the greatness of his love? That is the beginning of experiencing the power, life-changing presence of God is grasping how much he hurts, I mean, how much he loves us. Being a loving person, being a loved person is the first step to being a loved person. You've seen that old statement, hurt people hurt people, which is true. People who've been scarred and wounded and abused not always, but often tend to deal out that kind of abuse and scarring and wounding because it comes out of their own pain, right? But what's also true is this. Loved people love people. 
And when we grasp and experience how dearly God really loves us through Jesus Christ, that empowers us and energizes us to love. And so the first thing is receiving God's love. And then secondly, is to then give God's love, to give and share God's love. Now, I can't help it but think of the, the metaphor of the Sea of Galilee versus the Dead Sea. You know, the, the Sea of Galilee, the, the Jordan River flows into the, the Sea of Galilee, and it is a living, life-filled, life-giving lake. I mean, it's got fish and schools of fish swimming in it, and it's got grass growing around it, and it's just full of life. And then you have, in contrast to that, the Dead Sea. The same Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea is, well, dead. There just isn't life in it. It's just got too, too many minerals. The water is just not going to be life-giving like the Sea of Galilee. What is the difference? The Jordan River flows into both of them. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, but it flows out of the Sea of Galilee. And it gives away that life-giving water. That life-giving water flows into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea never shares it. The Dead Sea just keeps it, and it's dead. For me, this is a metaphor. This is a picture of how we don't just receive God's love. Oh, I'm so glad God loves me. But we give away that love and loving others. And so look with me again at, at verse 9 in our teaching passage. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, let me kind of unpack this real quick for us. John begins by explaining this wonderful gift of God's love that we see in the coming of Jesus Christ for us. And he talks about it in several ways. First of all, we see the greatness of God's gift. What is it that God gave? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The most precious thing he could give. In fact, giving himself, essentially. So he gives this wonderful gift. And why does he give us this gift? He gives us this gift, he says here, so that we might live through him that we might receive eternal life the greatest need of any person the greatest need of all of humanity is that we are alienated from God we are under the bondage of sin and the curse of death and Jesus came to address that one single greatest need so it's a great gift for a good purpose and 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 and, and notice the object of his love the recipient of this gift who is it that Jesus came to give this gift to God so loved the world. That's the expression the Bible uses for humanity that is in rebellion against God and, and in rejecting God. In other words, he gives this wonderful gift for such a wonderful reason to people who don't deserve it. Paul really hammers on this in Romans 5 where he says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he reveals one other thing about this wonderful gift, and it is the total self-sacrificing nature of it. Because he gave Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. That means Jesus died in my place for my sins, paying the wages of what I earn and deserve. Self-sacrificing, giving himself to do that. And so he gives this wonderful description of this amazing gift that we see an expression of God's love in the coming of Jesus Christ. And then we come to verse 11, and he turns the tables, and he says this. 
If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, we ought to love others in the same way that he loved us. People who don't deserve it. Loving in a self-sacrificing way. Loving to try to address their greatest need. That's a challenging thing, isn't it? Can I really put the needs of others ahead of my own and love them in this way? How do you do that? Well, I would say you could do it one bite at a time. Now, you might wonder what I mean by that. And, and I was thinking of a story I read some years ago by Jack, Jack Kelly, who was the foreign affairs editor of USA Today. And he told about his experience. He was in um, Mogadishu, the capital of Somalia in East Africa, during a time of great famine. And he walked into this village, and everyone he saw in the village was dead. The village was filled with bodies of people who had just starved to death and di died of malnutrition. And then he saw something moving, and it was a young boy. And this young boy came up to him, and you could see he was worm-infested. He manifested. He was experiencing severe malnourishment. Uh, his belly was bloated. His hair had turned that strange reddish orangish color whenever that's going on and 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 his skin even though his little boy looked like he was a hundred years old it was all crinkled the photographer who is who is with jack took out a grapefruit and handed it to the little boy but the little boy was too weak to be able to hold a grapefruit so they cut the grapefruit in half and they gave him half a grapefruit and he was strong enough to hold the half a grapefruit and then the little boy turned and started to walk away he didn't eat the grapefruit. He turned and, and, and walked away. And, and they were curious what he was doing, where he was going. So they followed him from a distance. And they saw him go to this, this hut. And outside of the hut, on a stretcher outside of the hut, a little mat, was another boy, a, a little younger boy, who was laying there. They thought he was dead. He was laying there. His eyes were glazed over. He wasn't moving. But the boy with the grapefruit took a bite out of the grapefruit. And he chewed it up. And then he spit out what he had chewed. And he put it into the mouth of the little boy on the stretcher. And with his hand, he mechanically worked the jaws of the boy on the stretcher so he could chew it and swallow it. And he did that with a whole half of the grapefruit. What they learned was that the, the little boy in the stretcher, the younger boy, was the younger brother of the boy they'd given that half a grapefruit to. Two days later, the older brother who'd been given the grapefruit died from malnutrition. But the younger brother survived the famine. And Jack, writing this article, said, I wonder if this is what Jesus meant when he said, there is no greater love than, the, than to lay down your life for somebody else. Am I willing to really do what love requires? To love the way that God loves me. Now, we may never be required to make the kind of sacrifice that little boy made. But what does it mean to really love others? To forgive people when they sin against me. To do good to those who curse me. To try to meet the needs of people who, who are my enemies. It's easy to love people that like us, isn't it? It's easy to love people who are like us. But to love people who are not like us, who hate us, who abuse us. Man, that's the kind of love that God has. How can we love like that? Gary, I, I like what you read. Let me just read again the brief description Paul gives. This is how love behaves. Love is patient. 
even when in traffic, right? <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. Boy, didn't our world need a little kindness right now? Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You know, because you love people doesn't mean you just say, oh, it's okay to do anything you want. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Not my truth or your truth, the truth, God's truth, right? Love bears all things, believes all things, and when that belief is betrayed, hopes all things. And when even that fails, endures all things. How do we do that, to love in that way? Who is it that you need to love in your life that's a hard person for you to love? How is God's Spirit stirring your heart to love like He loves? Let's pray and ask His help, shall we? Father, I confess to you how self-centered I am and demanding I am and petty I am. And <sighs> I've got a long way to go to become a really great lover like you are, O oh Father. We just call out to you and ask for your help that we might love others, to love each other the way that you love us. We ask your help in Jesus' name.